Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Kraus explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. It's that time of year again when we've got all of the medical students and fellows looking into their first time attending contracts, as well as it's typically a time of year when we've got other physicians who are kind of renegotiating their contracts because they may have started at this time of year when they took their first job. So I've asked John to come back and visit with us today and maybe talk about term lengths on contracts, whether your first contract is one year or three years and all kinds of questions related to that. So welcome back to the show, John. It's nice to have you. Yes, it's always good to see you, of course, and to visit with you about everything, contracts and physicians. I think term length is a really good topic to talk about because we get that question all the time. Does it matter? What about one year? I have a three year. I want a five year. We hear those questions all the time. And I think it's a really important topic for people to talk about how they look at their contract. I know I see that question come up quite a bit. Some people have auto renewing. Other people actually renegotiate with their employers once a year, once every three years. Like you said, they're different on every contract. Is there a benefit to having one over the other? Most of the time, hey, it all depends, right? And I know yeah, we think that everyone's story matters here. Like a contract isn't a contract. Every individual physician's stories matter. So I'm always going to say it depends on the story, but, but most of the time it doesn't matter. We may see a one-year contract or a two-year contract or a three-year or a five-year. There's one of the major systems out there that has positions in many, many states, and they usually offer a three-year or a five-year. They vary it depending on a couple of factors. And most contracts we see are, I think what you said, renewing or evergreen, they say, right? So it's not like it starts this year and it ends next year. It starts this year. And then in next year, it automatically renews. And then it automatically renews. And then it automatically renews forever and ever and ever until somebody decides to change it through terminating it or an amendment or something like that. But I say, you know, does it matter? And I always tell everyone, think of your particular situation. So a lot of times, certain things are tied to the length of a contract. It might be a guarantee of a salary. It might be the repayment provisions of a signing bonus or a relocation amount. And so if it's tied to something like that, then yes, of course, it does matter. You may not want a three-year repayment on a signing bonus if you're planning on being in a contract position for a year. So sometimes we'll have people call us and they'll say, look, John, I'm only going to take this position for one year or for two years. Then I'm going to move on because my spouse is doing a one-year fellowship at this institution or in the city that we're, we moved to Chicago for the uh, fellowship. And then we're going to move to California in a year and you know, so our careers, our lives, everything else. So if you have a contract that says you get a signing bonus, let's just pretend it's 50000 and it's forgiven over three years or after three years, two very different things. Again, if you, take, uh, if you leave after a year, you will, and you leave the contract as it is, you will owe either all of the 50000 or some of the 50000 depending on how it's set up in the contract. And maybe you don't want that. Tail insurance is another big thing, right? So as every physician looks at I don't know, you know, what's the benefit of the contract, they should always look at what happens and how do I get out? 
And how do you get out is something that everybody should know. When you have a contract that maybe auto renews every three years, do they typically have stipulations in there for contract renegotiation as far as salary goes? Or is that just goodwill? (laughs) So again, it all depends. So some contracts will say you have a, let's say you have a base salary for three years and then you're on to production, right? Well, the production model at the current time might be a certain dollar amount per RVU, but it might be different in the future. Sometimes we'll simply see contracts that'll say you have a guarantee salary of this much for this long. And after that, it's to be determined based on the then current compensation model, in which case we don't know what it is. So it's hard to look into the future on a contract like that to say, you will earn more or you will earn less. Now, keep in mind, most employers don't want a physician to have a contract that automatically renews it. The way they change the compensation structure from year to year, the physician automatically makes less. They don't want that because they know that a physician who is in that situation most likely not going to be a happy physician. They're most likely not going to stick around. And the employers generally want their physicians to stick around because physician turnover is expensive. But sometimes we'll see you know, a base salary tied to a specific term like and a compensation model after that. If you are someone who's under that, that model, make sure you understand that you can out-earn the salary. So sometimes a contract will say, you'll have a salary for three years and then you'll roll on to the compensation plan. But what if on the compensation plan in year two or three, you would have made more than the base salary? Do you receive the extra money or are you only on the guarantee? And then after the guarantee period, you roll on, in which case you may want to negotiate from a three-year guarantee down to a one-year or a two-year guarantee. So you can come off of that plan early and then earn more money if the compensation model is set up accordingly. And then what about termination? When you're given a contract that has a longer length to it, does that typically change the out clause or do you still have a 90 to 120 day out clause in most of those kind of contracts? No, that's a great question. So most contracts, about 97% of them have no cause termination. And like you said, it's an out clause. I don't want to work here anymore, or the employer most often has the option as well to say, we don't want you to work here anymore. Typically, those periods are 60, 90, or 120 days. We see 30 days in some like independent contractor agreements or in some like a locums agreement where in 30 days, you can be out of an assignment or a position. If you have a W-2 job and a 30-day no-cause termination, I would be concerned about that. If nothing else, just because you can't transition from one job to another in 30 days, interviewing, contract review, negotiation, credentialing, and everything else. So you'll have a gap in income. So most typically 90 or 120 days is is standard, but we do see longer periods as well in some rural areas or some harder to treat or harder to fill special. But some contracts, number 97% have those no-cause termination. The other percent either will say after two years, the employee can terminate, or it'll just say, you know, or it'll say, you know, the contract starts on you know, July 1st of 2023 and ends two years after. And then, it, of course, it'll say something about termination for you could, where you could be terminated immediately, such as you lose your license, a death or a disability, get kicked off the medical staff, or you can't bill Medicare. Something that is like obviously catastrophic. You can't do your job anymore. But it won't mention anything about a no-cause termination. So I'm mention a for-cause termination, but not a no-cause termination. So if that's the case, and we've seen positions who, again, they didn't have the contract review because I'm just going to come here for a year and help my spouse through their fellowship, and then we're going to move to a different state, start our careers together. So 
this is not my forever job. I'm just going to take the money, show up and do a decent job and then leave in a year. But they did know it was a two-year contract and there was no no-cost termination in the permit in the contract. So how do they terminate? Can they terminate? We've seen employers say there's not a provision for you to terminate without cause. So unless we violated the contract and you're terminating for cause, you can't quit until the end of the term. Can that and be legal? We've seen employers come back at the position, say, you'd be breaching a contract. And if we have to fail in locums, you could be liable for those breaches. So every situation is different, but we always want a position, no matter what, what their story is, right? They're going to be there for one year. They're going to be there forever and retire. Whatever the story is, the contract should be looked at if, just so you realize how you can get out. But again, does it matter if it's a two-year or a three-year contract? There's no signing bonus. It's an evergreen contract. You can terminate at any time. Salary is, you know, at an academic status. You get paid X dollars and you may get more. You review every year. Does it matter if you have a two-year contract or a three-year contract or a 10-year contract? Most likely no. Because again, if you're one of the 97% of contracts that have the no-cause termination, if it's a two-year contract, but there's a 90-day provision, it's almost like a 90-day contract that automatically renews every day after 90 days. Because the first day you show up, you could say, I don't want to work here anymore and I'm out of here in 90 days. And vice versa. They could tell you they don't want you there anymore and that you should pack your bags and be out. So even if you have a two-year contract, you sign a contract for $500,000 a year for two years. You think, I just signed a million-dollar contract. I'm going to earn a million dollars in the next two years. Maybe. Again, if there's a 90-day no-cause termination, nothing's guaranteed, really, outside of 90 days, unless there's provisions in the contract saying, if we terminate earlier, you will have to do this or we'll have to do that or you won't have to pay this back. So a lot of things can be tied to the term. Again, it just all depends on the individual deal. Gotcha. I'm going to take you off topic for a minute. I know there's been a lot of buzz. There's been a lot of buzz lately about the non-compete. Any update on what's going on with the non-compete legislation or ban? Yeah. So I don't know how long, I don't know when this will be published, but right now it's middle of March, 2023. There was a 90-day comment period that started in January. They're taking comments from everybody for 90 days. So the big business can weigh in, hospitals can weigh in, companies can weigh in, Starbucks can weigh in. Physician organizations can weigh in. And I mean, anybody, unions, anybody who has an opinion can weigh in and say, this is what we think the non-compete rule or process should be. We're for it. And these are the reasons. We're against it. And these are the reasons. So that we're in that 90-day period now. So I've seen lots of, I've seen physicians, I've seen associations put together arguments, you know, and have hundreds of physicians sign them and send them in for during the comment period. I think they're going to take everything when it comes out. and. You know, they'll look at it and they'll say, okay, based on this, the ruling stands or the ruling doesn't stand or this is legal or this is not legal and here's what it's going to look like. So we'll know that in maybe another, it might be like maybe at the beginning of May or so before we kind of have that landscape. My assumption is after that, it's going to take another six months for anything to take effect, regardless of what they say, if they do ban non-competes or if they don't ban non-competes, I'm guessing there'll be litigation on either side. You know, I mean, I have a, I have an article in front of me that you and I were talking about earlier. I mean, it's called Big Business's Plan to Block Biden's Ban on Non-Compete Agreement, right? Big Business's Plan, like this is a 
business plans for big business on saying, how can we block this? Because we want our employees to be subjected to non-competes. We don't want them to leave. So I'm very curious on how it works out. We're writing on our blog at contractdiagnostics.com. As soon as we hear something come out, so they can all check that out and send our email if they'd like. But I'm very curious to see what happens to it. If non-competes do fall, I've thought a lot about, so what does that mean? Does that mean that salaries will go up because now Dr. Tammy can jump across the street, practice. So she's going to call the hospital across the street and say, hey, I'll come work for you for 50,000 more. And then hospital A says no, and hospital B says yes. And then people start to jump around and patients are confused, but the physicians are making more. And I don't know. We've had no non-competes in Massachusetts and in California and in other states for years and years and years. And when we look at physicians in those states, we don't see them compensated at a significantly higher rate. As I look back, okay, so let's just pretend that non-competes are banned and no physician in the U.S. is under a non-compete and they can do whatever they want. How will that impact the average physician? And I'm unsure. Does that mean that the, that the hospitals might have to be a little more accommodating if they require a physician to do more call and the physician doesn't want to do more call? Because the physician can say, look, I'm not going to do it. And if you force me, I'm going to go to the competitor. That's now a legitimate threat. You should a physician decide to make it, or it could be anyway, depending on the rule. But where right now, an employer may think to themselves, they don't like it. What are they going to do, right? Their kids are in school. They just <laughs> built their dream house. They're not going to go anywhere because they got a 25-mile non-compete. Where if they know, hey, maybe they don't have a non-compete, then it might change things. There are some states that are changing things a little more proactively, Maryland being one of them. Again, they've got all these asterisks, right? So maybe there aren't any non-competes, but there are if you're a high earner or if they are if you're a certain type of certain type of employee. So I think regardless of what the rule is, it's not going to just wipe out non-competes for everybody everywhere. I think there might be some stamping out of them, but I think it's going to be a big asterisk. And whether that means people who make over a certain dollar amount can be subjected to them, or people in a certain system can be subjected to them, or people who are maybe exempt from overtime wages, like most physicians, can be subject to them. I'd be curious to see kind of how it be set up. Long way around, an update. We really don't have one yet, but I think we will maybe inside of a month or two. But even if we have like an update and a press release and breaking news, you know, from uh, whatever news station you listen to, blog on our website and everything, I think it's still going to be a big question mark for the next six months to a year at best. If you, and again, how does that change for people signing new contracts, people having renewing contracts and people who are currently under a non-compete in a defined period of time. So, or who have even bought the way out of a non-compete in the past. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see either way. And we'll be sure to talk more to you and I and of course report on as we can on our website. Well, thanks, John. I love that you just let me ask you a question out of left field and then Always give the most important yeah. answer. <laughs> and what else could come out of left field? Anything else? <laughs> oh, you don't want to go there. I'll throw a stat out there that I heard okay. two weeks ago. I was on the phone with a, I can't remember her title, but it was a gal at a major, major system who hires hundreds of physicians every single year in the Northeast. I don't know if she was in recruiting or if she was in HR or if she was illegal, but I was on the phone with this gal and we were just, you know, we had talked about a physician client of ours, clarified some questions and compensation and everything else. And um, I said, we've got to start date 
talked about the physician start date and the physician wanted a different start date. And of course we were talking what about a start date, what's good for you and how will this work out? And the one thing she made a comment and I asked a second question on it and she had told me that out of the 270 hires, I think they made last year at this facility, was it 44 or 46 of them had a delay in their start date because of credentialing? Wow. So think about this. You're a physician. You're coming out of training in June, July. You're going to start your job August 15th. Everything's set up. I got rent to pay. I got a new car lease. I've got, you know, a vacation to go on. I want to go out and get a nice meal. I've got student loans to be paid. I've got fill in the blank, right? Catch up contributions on, um, on retirement, whatever you want to spend your new money on. And no check for an additional 30 days. And you make, th- oh. and you're counting on $30,000 maybe, right? If you make three sixty, three fifty dollars a year, 30 grand a month, and you're counting on a $30,000 check and it doesn't show up. Oh, and you just painful. maxed out your credit card. And I don't think that this was not a problem of this system. She said, this is, this is happening everywhere. So it, it, it's at a state level. It's at the credentialing department level. It's at a, a backlog processing level. It's at all, it's a position for getting to fill out a form level. I mean, it's multi, it's not easy to use your finger on here's the one person's fault. It is always a physician's fault or it's always the state's fault or it's always, it's multi. But I say that because the lot, because of course we have physicians call us. They say, John, my contract says August 15th. And they say, I can't start until September 15th. They only 15000 or $30,000, right? Surely Most of there's, the time, no. Yeah, I was going right? to say, surely they've got now, themselves covered in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Now, some employers have a way that they can like kind of work with the physician. Maybe they can put them on some kind of administrative tasks and give them like a, you know, some kind of entry-level salary or depending on how it is, they can bill under somebody else. I mean, I think there's all different kinds of ways that you could maybe start training or orientation early. I mean, there's all other ways that you could maybe work it out with the employer. But I tell that story as plenty of residents and fellows will listen to this podcast. And if you're starting in 2023, make sure that you don't delay anything. Get your, if you could pay rush fees, pay rush fees, get your credentialing packet filled out, get everything done at the state, make sure all of your information is legible so they can read all of your forms that you filled out or type them. So there's not like, I thought the phone number to your so-and-so was a three, but it was an I. Make sure that you understand what's going on in terms of the timelines. Always ask when you're doing your due diligence on a contract, if it says you can start August 15th, always ask, how long does credentialing start? I remember maybe during COVID and we were working with a physician in Illinois and they had a contract and I said, well, when do you want to start? He goes, oh, John, I told right away. I mean, if I sign the contract tomorrow, I'd like to start next week. And I said, do you have any license? And well, they, they knew it was longer than that, of course, but they said, I think they can credential me pretty quickly. And I said, do you have an Illinois license? And Illinois is always one of those states that is like the high list of how long it takes, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it'll be, it's routinely five, six, seven, eight, nine months to get a state Whoa. license in Illinois. So again, and every state's a little bit different, but make sure you know the timelines and you have reasonable expectations because that could depend. Maybe you don't work in Illinois. You work right across in Missouri, depending on where you are. Work up in Madison, in Wisconsin for a little while, right? Depending on where you are, make sure you understand what you have for stop gaps and plan B, if you will. If plan A doesn't work out, then you're starting on August 15th, making your $30,000 a month. 
always figure out timelines, always figure out what can I do to speed the process up? Do I need to drive somewhere every day and check on my application? Do I need to call and talk to Mary on the phone or pay a rush fee or just fill out the form as soon as it comes in? But make sure that, the, that everyone here knows what they can do to support the facility and credentialing efficiently in a time effective manner. Very good advice. Well, John, thanks for coming back on the show. And again, I direct everybody back to contractdiagnostics.com. Great information that you put out there with blogs and links to podcasts and all kinds of free information that you've put out there for physicians, in addition to the paid services that you do for individuals and groups. Yeah, well, we love to educate and, you know, I love doing the coffee and contracts here with you guys that come out the little short episodes that I love doing these talks with you guys. We just had a, another big quarterly webinar two weeks ago, I think. We had a record number of attendees on there. We love teaching and educating and just sharing everything that we've learned over the past 12 or 13 years hanging out with you guys. So um, it's always fun for us. And we always do with a big smile and a ton of fun. So thanks for having me again. I look forward to the next time we're able to talk. Well, thanks. And thanks to everybody for tuning in today. I hope you'll join me again next week for Grand Rounds. <laughs>